Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have helped shape Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm Dr. Richard Bolzakelli, lecturing theology at Catholic Studies Academy, in for Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. Today's discussion may seem a bit out of place for a channel devoted to Catholic studies, but in fact it's a really important one. Among the most notorious statements in the whole history of philosophy is, God is dead, a phrase most associated with the 19th century German nihilist Friedrich Nietzsche, who himself certainly was no friend of Christianity. He was, however, deeply insightful, and Christians have a lot to learn from him. What did he mean when he said that God is dead? Why did he say it? And how can this saying help Christians today better understand our place in the contemporary world? Now, before we get started, don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and select notifications. And of course, share this content with your friends. So, Dr. Smith, yes. um, this is really your topic. I mean, this is okay. a topic that you are pretty passionate about. Um, sure. I know that you've you you've spent a lot of time with Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. Um and why don't you get us get us started on this? Sure. Yeah. So Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, uh, all I like to say about Nietzsche is that uh, in my undergraduate, you know, I had a bit of a internal war between Jesus and Nietzsche and Jesus won. Thanks uh -huh. to God. But, the, uh, uh, you know, Nietzsche is somebody that I've uh, uh, been engaged with since undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate degree. I was, um, I had a, uh, uh, a mentor then become friend uh, who I would say is a is an actual you know published expert in Nietzsche who I learned mm -hmm. you know um, about Nietzsche from um, and I always found him to be a very engaging uh, thinker right certainly someone who kind of you know if you're a Christian especially if you're a conservative Christian somebody who who you know sort of you know he's gonna land some punches right like he he doesn't pull any punches about what he thinks uh, and his criticisms are 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 tough. But I think also really sort of uh, insightful, right? One way to think about uh, approach Nietzsche is to think about him, you know, sort of position him a little bit historically. He's writing at the end of the 19th century, right? And really going into the beginning of the 20th century. And this is where we see, I think, Rich, for the first time, atheism become respectable, right? Uh -huh. That is, like, like, you think about sort of like the 19th century is a time of, like say uh, England, which I, I would know the best, is the Victorian age. There's a time of great faith there. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have Darwin, right? I mean, yeah. Darwin's a Victorian, right? Right. And right. and and you know, yeah, you have this sort of rise of kind of intellectual, respectable uh, atheism, right? Uh, in 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 the 19th century, and I think Nietzsche is part of that, contributes to it to be sure, but he's also looking back at I think sort of the end of a certain project, right? And that is kind of um, uh, the idea of sort of the enlightenment as leading us towards this kind of, you know, um, uh, utopian, ethical, true, you know, sort of world where we're all going to sort of flourish sort of uh -huh. equally and so forth. Nietzsche is 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 really saying no, like that whole project has really failed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and really, he's going to say most of philosophy, in one way or the other, uh, has failed. And 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 a, a major component of that, right, has to do with 
uh, God, right? Because even most Enlightenment thinkers, right? If you think about people like Leibniz, right? Um, still affirm the existence of God, you know, Rene Descartes, you know, I mean, yeah. in fact, uh-huh. the existence of God for Leibniz and Descartes are important, right? I mean, like they're, they're right. crucial to their systems, right? Yeah. Um, and, and he's finally saying, look, no, right? At this point, right? If we fully grasp where we have come, right? In terms of, you know, Darwinism, in terms of science, in terms of the history of philosophy and the Enlightenment, what we should recognize is that it's no longer credible to believe in God, right? That's what Nietzsche means by the death of God, right? That it's not that there was a real being that existed that is that we called God, and then that being ceased to exist, right? Yeah. It's rather that the ability of serious people to believe in God has come to an end, right? Or right. is coming yeah. to an end. I mean, he yeah. does say maybe this is, you know, far off before we fully realize it, but um, but that this has happened, right? The page has turned, so to speak, on the age of belief. Does that make sense, yeah. Rich? Yeah, that's always how I've understood him. Um, I mean, his view is there never was a God, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to die. Sure. But people believed in God because um, they sort of had to, given where they were in, um, mm-hmm. in, in sort of philosophical, cultural, scientific evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, um, but yeah, at this point, we've just, we just know too much. We understand too much. We right. see things from we've asked the right questions or the wrong mm-hmm. questions, depending upon your point of view. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and we've ended up getting answers that, um, that we may not have wanted to get, but we mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of an un- unanticipated outcome. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, one that maybe we fully, as I said, haven't realized yet. Uh, and, and, and very importantly, when Nietzsche is saying this, right. Nietzsche doesn't take this to be trivial, right. Yeah. Like, it's not trivial. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, there's no question mm-hmm. in his mind this is actually catastrophic. That's right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because he does think that, you know, belief in the existence of God played some sort of role, right? And was maybe useful at one time for some people, right? Yeah. Um, but not anymore, right? Uh, and, and in fact, is a debilitating idea. But he also thinks it's a big deal, like to get rid of God. And this is, I think, kind of what he's really saying to his fellow intellectuals, right? You can't just get rid of God and keep having high tea and think everything's going to be okay, right? Yeah, like, right. It, like This is a big deal. It is a cultural sort of existential, you know, shift in zeitgeist p- profoundly, right? Yeah. And, right. and I, I think that comes across, and this is going to take a few minutes to read, but it comes across in a really famous passage called uh, The Madman which is from a, a small text uh, written by Nietzsche called The Gay Science. Uh, and the gay, the, by gay here, he just means the cheerful science, right? Yeah, right. So uh-huh. it's the cheerful science, which is interesting because he says lots of dire things <laughs> inside of it, but that's kind of how Nietzsche liked to write. Uh, and say, it'll take just a minute to read through, but it's uh, a powerful passage. Keep in mind, now this is sort of an allegorical kind of passage, oddly enough, right? Yeah. So the mm-hmm. madman is really kind of, speaking for Nietzsche, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of a, almost kind of like a philosophical prophet, right? Yeah, right, right. And this he is likes really to give a philosophical prophet. He really does. Yeah, yeah. And like even one of his uh, 
one of his books that people tend to read first, which I, I don't actually recommend, but is Thus Spake Zarathustra, you know, it's written oh. very much like the New Testament, right? Uh, it, it has that feel of the, of the, of the preacher going from town to town. There's the narratives, mm. all that sort of thing, you know, that, that are similar, but any event. So I can say this will take a minute to read, but I think it's uh, well worth it. So it's a, it's a parable um, entitled The Madman. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? Asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? Asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage? Immigrated? They, thus they all yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he cried. I will tell you, we have killed him. You and I, all of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually, backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is night not continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns early in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Here the madman fell silent, looked again at his listeners, and they too were silent and stared at him with astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground, and it broke into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said to them. My time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. The deed is still more distant from them than the most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. It has been related further that on that same day, the madman forced his way into several churches and there struck up his requiem eternum deo. Let out and called to account, he is said to have replied nothing but, what after all are all these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchres of God? So, this a powerful passage, right? Uh, so evocative, you know. I think in that middle part where he's, he's, you know, he's railing. See, he's really addressing atheists here in a way, right? He's railing against these unbelievers, and and everything he says there about, you know, our <laughs> whither are we moving away from all suns, right? You know, from, who gave us permission to untether the earth from its sun and just to float out into empty space, right? I mean, that's something like a conservative Christian could write and say, hey, if you get rid of God, there's nothing going to be left. We're going to just float out in empty space in terms of just nihilism. But he's not writing it from that perspective, right? He's saying, yep, we've done this. <laughs> right? What do you think of that passage, Rich? Yeah, well, it's one of the, I mean, to me, it's one of the most important passages in contemporary philosophy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, not because I agree with it. Um, of course. I mean, not because I agree with his his starting premise that we've killed God, that we've mm -hmm. done, that we've arrived at this place. We could no longer credibly believe in him. Correct. Right. But because I do agree that he, he does understand the centrality of God in our belief systems. It, mm -hmm. 
So what we've done today, right? What we've the the lesson we failed to learn from Nietzsche, I think, mm-hmm. is that um, is that you just can't go on as before if you don't have God. Right. If you're serious about not believing in God, there are mm-hmm. real deep implications that are yeah. going to cut to every dimension of your experience of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and so the the but you could say, but Dr. Bolzakelli, uh, this would be like one of my students might say, Dr. Bolzakelli. Um, I know plenty of atheists, you know, my brother's an atheist or my mm-hmm. cousin's an atheist or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem the same as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think Nietzsche would just say to that guy, well, I mean, I've come too early for you or something, right? You haven't, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, haven't um, you haven't realized the implications yet. They, they are there. Sure. But they haven't. They haven't seeped through your consciousness yet. Yeah, I think so. And and Nietzsche, you know, I mean, Nietzsche's also uh, just an unabashed elitist too. So he might say, "Look, there's just, I mean, maybe he's just a, you know, um, a last They're never going to get it. You know, a herd person. Yeah, who never yeah. get it. You know, and who cares, right? I'm talking to you know these people who who can hear, right? Right. He, right. he takes that that language over from uh jesus right yeah right (laughs) you know uh and and you know that you know you might look externally to some degree like anybody else right Mm -hmm. um but really if you're a real nietzschean and you understand it and and you grasp fully the truth right that nietzsche believes he's uncovered you know you're gonna see the contingency and groundlessness right of all of these things that you participate in, in terms of, you know, keeping promises, voting, democracy, human rights, all, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> you're just going to sort of think, well, look, you know, maybe I just choose to do this because I don't, if you're a real Nietzschean, I choose to do this because it expands my power, right? It allows my being to be more, right? And I might talk like the rest of you, but you know, I know that, that that all this stuff about courage, duty, piety, God, afterlife, all of that's just you know ephemeral. It's just non-existent. Yeah, I think I think that um and Nietzsche is really radical on this kind of thing. But you know, there are many, many uh people today who've been influenced strongly by Nietzsche, mm-hmm. um very like consciously, right? I mean, sure, it's not trickle down, it's they're students of Nietzsche, right? Who yeah, yeah. um who take a somewhat different approach, right? They mm. they wouldn't say that um they do these things to expand their power, right? Mm-hmm. But they would say, look, um I just recognize that choosing this moral, this broad moral framework, which I mm-hmm. recognize also is not it's not grounded in it's grounded only in our will, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's grounded in sure. our choice to have it that way um but i i recognize that by making that particular choice i give rise to a world that i prefer to live in sure right and that's Mm -hmm. actually a position that i've heard people articulate Mm -hmm. um so they're willing to say right you know for the most part except in perhaps um dire circumstances we behave in these sorts of ways Mm -hmm. um but but there is a point at which they, you know, they're ready to negotiate 
with um, their moral principle, with the principles. They're not really moral principles, right? They're just yeah. acts of will. Yeah. So the framework can be, the framework can give here and there where it's sort of strategically mm-hmm. necessary to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. But that's not Nietzsche's view. I don't think. I don't Nietzsche's think that's. Is, yeah, because there's just not enough. Um, I mean, I kind of like to, like to think of Nietzsche as a heroic nihilist, right? Yeah. Uh, you know that that. Which is is oxymoronic on purpose, right? I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's a paradox, right? Like, um, but that you know, because the person you're describing sounds uh, awfully comfortable and sort of bourgeois, and yeah. and sort of like, but like, okay, so you want to accept Christian morality, but without Jesus, and you just prefer it that way. And I think for Nietzsche, like Christian morality is kind of subversive to the human condition. I mean, he yeah. thinks it's it's life defeating, right, <clears throat> yeah, to live that way, right? right? right. Uh, where it's more life affirming, right? To live um, in a way that's maybe not always decadent, but can be decadent when it wants to be, but also is you know unrestrained by kind of Christian ideas about you know, human dignity or anything of that nature. Right. Um, Again, you might not treat everybody terribly. Right. But that's just because it's part of your artistic project, part of your great life. Um, uh, You're not, not because of any sort of preference for Christian virtues, you know, that would be very weird. I think to him, you know, Oh yeah. Uh, I think it would be weird. And I think he would just reject it as, um, like you've missed my whole point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, you need to. You need. To, I would say you need to read the critique on in the genealogy of morals on aesthetic, uh, not not aesthetic, uh, ascetic morality. Right. Uh-huh. Like where he criticizes self denial over and over and over and over. Right? Yeah. Right. Uh, you know. Again, Nietzsche might endorse self denial as a form of training, right, mm-hmm. in order to do other great things, right, uh, but not self denial as in a rejection of uh sinful desires right or something like that right yeah right uh, that's sort of thing <clears throat> is out but you know i think uh that 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 person hasn't really realized the significance uh of kind of the philosophical background and context in which he's operating right which should of course lead to right in nietzsche's view the rejection of the existence of God. And I think that's true. You think uh, both of sort of the, I don't know, secular Christian or like the person who endorses Christian values, but doesn't um, endorse Christ. But it's also true, I think, of the churches, right? Mm -hmm. Right here he says, what are all these churches but sepulchers, right? Yeah, tombs and sepulchers of God. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, that's, wow, that's damning, right? uh And I mean, shit, of course, you know, makes me think, are churches tombs of God? I often feel that way. I I, got to tell you, (laughs) again, I I don't agree with Nietzsche here on his major premise, but I do, Mm. um, I do agree with his basic social insight. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes when I'm sitting in mass and I think I'm mm-hmm. sitting in a church and I think about the state of things in the church, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. about where we are culturally and, and how um, I know what the statistics are mm-hmm. um, overall about mm-hmm. what people really believe and how they live. Sure. And that quote comes to my mind actually very frequently mm. as mm-hmm. I sit there. 
Yeah. Especially um, if you think of the death here as as death as uh the loss of belief. Yeah. Right. You know, then you're thinking, are our churches places of the loss of belief? Right. I think that's kind of what you're uh-huh. getting at, right? Yeah. Are they so it's a, a tomb, right? Are they tombs and sepulchres of God? In other words, do we go there to sort of remember belief? Mm. or something right mm, but mm-hmm. but we don't really believe it's like mm-hmm. you could go to visit a, the tomb of someone who's died sure it's yeah. a different experience from going to visit him sure. in his living room of course yeah. yeah yeah you might remember him fondly right you know share some stories with your kids but you, yeah. yeah but in reality he's not mm-hmm. in your life anymore mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's 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 very interesting uh uh way of putting it um i think one of the things that's that's helpful in Nietzsche's so this is so what's helpful about this to Christians this is something I think for us to confront in this sense right it does seem that a lot of people more and more don't think Christianity is credible right that yeah. I mean they just think belief in God is just sort of weird obviously false or even people maybe who are raised Christian who a phrase that's you know come up with they deconstruct their faith right yeah you know and uh and find that uh oh yeah i was raised as a christian but once i started really analyzing it taking it apart over time i saw actually that there's just it's just not real and i've seen some people that i know go through this i mean i've seen i've seen several students go through it and I've seen uh, several uh friends right um mm-hmm. uh you know go through it where just a little bit at a time, the faith just dissipates, you know. Uh-huh. And and it's not as if they it, it not it's not as if at step A they decide they were like, oh, I don't want to believe anymore, right? But it was more like, well, I can't believe in A anymore, so I'm going to go down to B here, and then well, I can't really believe in B or A anymore, you know. Like it just starts yeah. to you know fall apart. So this is I mean, Nietzsche's prescient in this way, right? Uh-huh. When he was writing, the idea, even if there were, even if atheism was becoming more respe- respectable, even if there was a movement towards atheism, the vast majority of 19th century Europeans, vast majority of 19th century Americans are historically Christian in some sense or the other, right? And most of the intellectuals too. And most of the intellectuals, yeah, sure, absolutely, yeah, I agree. Um, so uh, when you're thinking about uh, this, you know, it seems very obvious and prescient to us now right mm-hmm. uh but it wasn't then right um so what was nietzsche onto about the decline of belief yeah right? that's what i think is is interesting for us to think about because he got it right uh-huh. you know, he got it right in the not in the metaphysical as a system. social description yeah 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 i mean his predictions turned out uh, uh, turned out right yeah sadly enough right so um Oh no! Did you want to uh, have a well? I, I have there? a couple of thoughts okay. here that I think might help sort of understand things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, in the aphorism, he, he calls it the madman, mm. and you you mentioned that he sees himself sort of as the, the mm-hmm. figure, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think right, what we just talked about here, how the vast majority of people in the culture and even in academia still would say that they believe in God, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, at this sort of, at Nietzsche's unabashed commitment to atheism mm-hmm. and his belief that, that 
you just couldn't even make a case for God anymore. Mm-hmm. That that is sort of lunacy from their point of view, right? Mm-hmm. That he he would be regarded as a land sure, sure fringe yeah. figure uh-huh. at the time. Yeah, not yeah. so anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I want to point out that as far as his academic background, um, we often think about him as a philosopher. Sure. Philosophy students study him. Mm-hmm. But in fact, his training was as a classicist. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of um, I kind of think this is important for understanding where he's coming from. He. He. I think he's a real admirer of the ancient pagan mindset, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in in Greek in Greek uh, in the Greek world, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he speaks frequently about you know the Dionysian uh, type, right? Uh-huh. And um, and I think if we look back at the early period of the early church, um, we need to remember this is something I talk about fairly often. That uh, among the early charges that were brought against Christians, right, one of the reasons that they were considered so terrible Mm -hmm. was um, that they were actually charged with misanthropy, right, Mm -hmm. hatred of humanity. Right. Um, And more and more, I'm thinking as we, (laughs) as everything that Nietzsche had prophesied, if you want to use that word, if everything he predicted Mm -hmm. has sort of unfolded before us, we find orthodox christians right broadly orthodox christians now um essentially being charged socially and yeah. in some places criminally mm-hmm. right with um with a kind of hatred of humanity sure hate yeah language, that's right? interesting hate language mm-hmm. hateful acts right against against humanity we're against human happiness <laughs> um and that's that that is kind of Nietzsche's um sure. attitude mm-hmm. toward Christianity. Yeah. I mean he thinks of he I mean he he describes Christianity as slave morality, uh-huh. that it's the the morality of the slavish, of the weak, of the ugly, of the unsuccessful. It's a kind of morality that's life defeating, you know. And it which denies really... people, it denies mm-hmm. people gratification of the things that they sure that they want out of their lives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because i need to say you know oh but that would be immoral i won't do that that's right that's right yeah 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 i mean imagine yeah I mean, there's so many uh threads to follow up here but you know like um you know say the the husband who could get away with uh a um an artfully hidden uh one night stand right uh-huh. who says ah but i'm not going to do it because it's unjust yeah it would be unloving and you know sort of you know comes up with these moral restraints yeah right? even if my wife would never find out that's right i would know i would know and i you know etc you know um you know for nietzsche that's just life defeating right i mean you yeah. know if she's a beautiful and interesting woman and unusual and it part, part of your great story of this you know this one night conquest of this special woman, you know, uh-huh. I mean, why would you keep that out of your, your story? Right? Yeah. Odysseus uh, would have done it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. Rich was very good. Very good. Yeah. Well stated. Um, so I want to look at here uh, sort of, there's four um, different things that Nietzsche says about why we've come to this place of unbelief, how we've gotten here. And I think this will be interesting for us to think about, right? Uh, and, you know, for our listeners to think about, um, 
you know, uh, as Christians, you know, like, why is it the case, right, that, that we've gotten here? And one thing that might, you know, to a lot of uh, people, uh, I'm just in a conversation right now with a group of people about this, a lot of Christians might not sort of think about too much, but um, one of the reasons he says uh, that, that Christianity has become unbelievable is because all true worlds, and those mm-hmm. scare quotes are on purpose if you're listening and rather than watching sorry you would have seen this but all true worlds um are uh unbelievable right that is we've come to recognize that metaphysics is just not uh accessible any sort of sort of transcendent strong traditional kind of metaphysical picture of the world is just not credible yeah. right and, you know, in a post-Kantian, and th- th- this is interesting, I think, because in a post-Kantian perspective, a lot of philosophers would tend to agree with that, right? Yeah. Now, what I mean specifically is any view of real being that goes beyond the kind of flux and flow of phenomena, mm-hmm. right? So Nietzsche isn't saying there's no real world right or something like that exactly he's just saying look all there is is the the flow right the in in front of us that's all we can know about it's all we really need to know about it's the only thing that's useful to us science can track it for us and predict it for us pretty well but you know kind of in terms of like what's really there we don't need the question itself is useless right yeah right and 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 all efforts to create whether it's a platonic you know set of forms right or an Aristotelian um, kind of theism and, and view of an ordered nature, or mm-hmm. Christianity, or um, um, you know the the religion of the ancient Persians, or any of that stuff, right? All of that, right, is unbelievable and useless. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. so what's really interesting about this is, um, so first of all. I think he doesn't really reject the idea of truth in every sense, right? I mean, sure. he does. He certainly believes in science, yeah. um, right? You could crunch numbers and you could come to conclusions about things, mm. but you could. I think you would say, yeah, it's it's true insofar as it goes. But if you want him to have some sort of deep commitment, you know, yeah. I, I think like, like, what does no, it mean? mean? Yeah, Why yeah. is it here? <laughs> what is it? Right? The <laughs> ultimate explanations of things. What's interesting is he's just like, why do we care? Why? It's why waste your time on those sorts of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you fast forward from Nietzsche, yeah, to um, C.S. Lewis, right, in the abolition of man, you could see that he there those two uh, those two things are really talking about the same issue, mm-hmm. right? Right, sure. Um, but of course, from C.S. Lewis's point of view, it's very bad. From <laughs> Nietzsche's point of view, it's fine. Okay, mm-hmm. but. Lewis is pointing out in the abolition of man that right. you just don't have humanity anymore in any classically defined way. Mm-hmm. The, the idea mm-hmm. of the one, the, the animal that has logos, the animal that ultimately can account for things. Right. Right. Um, the um, you don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. With Nietzsche. No. Yeah. And in I fact, agree. you don't. Yeah. You don't need to care. You don't need to care. And that's the. That's a good. Uh, touching on that point is so important because I mean, isn't isn't this what we confront all the time, Rich? Right. Our biggest task in teaching philosophy and theology is what? Indifference. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, uh-huh. it's overcoming the indifference of the students. That's uh-huh. our first, you know, like as a philosophy professor, I'm always like, you know, uh, that's that I, I know that's my first hurdle going in to that first mm-hmm. to that introduction to philosophy class, right? My biggest hurdle is indifference, right? Yeah. Uh, which is so, I mean, like I would to my mind and my temperament, that's hard for me to imagine, but that's just the truth of it. And, and he's kind of pointing this out, right? Yeah. Um, and um, and here's the thing is with Christianity, Christianity without metaphysical doctrines makes zero sense, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, like, whatever, exactly how you want to parse those metaphysical, uh, well, some of them you have to parse certain ways, uh, but, you know, without discussions of natures, persons, essences, things like that, I mean, you're not going to get very far, right? Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, and talking about Christianity. I mean, the, the yeah. whole God, right? Necessary versus contingent being. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I mean, all of that stuff, you know, it's just uh-huh. so um, necessary for talking. I mean, Christianity is not a religion of the flow, right? right it's not right. a religion of the flux, right? Uh-huh. It's a religion with an abiding, eternal God, right? And and unchanging truths and, and things like that. Um so if you get rid of all metaphysics, right, your Christianity is going to crumple. And I think this yeah. is, you know, at a practical level, I think this happens a lot with our children and our students mm-hmm. when they get to college, right? If all, if their whole religious experience, right, um, is just sort of around kind of, I don't know, ritual and kind of going with the flow with the family and maybe yeah. some social emotional experiences. Yeah. And uh-huh. social experiences, and, but they have nothing in the mind mm-hmm. that helps them to see the reality, right. In a certain way, then that stuff is going to change as they go into college. Right. Yeah. As and their social circumstances change, as their experiences change, right. Yeah. Then the faith is going to evaporate. Evaporate. That's right. Exactly. And I, and I wouldn't, of course, want to say that the the faith is all about the mind, but it, it's partly about the like the mind's an important part of it, right? And being yeah. able to see reality in a certain way. Um, so I think he's he's just right on the money with one of the causes mm-hmm. of unbelief. Right? Is uh, sort of the the decline of metaphysics. Are you going to add anything there, Rich? Uh, no, I think that's okay. I think that's that that says it right. No metaphysics, no God, no faith, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So I mean, I would. Yeah. That's. I think that's something to keep in view. Um, another one that he brings in. This is a really interesting one. Is so. There's another. Uh, we already mentioned this work. Thus spake Zarathustra. Mm-hmm. It's written kind of in this narrative form. Uh, it begins with this this kind of almost religious scene of Zarathustra up on a mountain and the sun's coming up and it's a dawn and it's, it's just beautifully written. Um, and Zarathustra comes down, you know, to the people and, and, you know, tries to kind of teach the people about Niles, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know? And, 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 and why this is actually good for us. Right. Um, and one of the people that he runs into is the last Pope. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Which is just, you know, again, Nietzsche, Nietzsche just pulls no punches, right? So he, he's at a, uh, he, he meets the last Pope uh, who has retired, right? Uh-huh. Which is interesting. He's, he's retired. He's no longer Pope, you know, uh, but he was the last one. Uh, he said uh, about the, the last Pope that he served the old God until his last hour. 
So right before God finally died completely, right? Became yeah. totally incredible. The last Pope, you know, served him. And then after he died, the Pope retired. And so Zarathustra <laughs> asked, right, the last Pope, uh, uh, how he died, right? Like what happened? Okay. Fascinating here. Okay. So this is um, a passage from Zarathustra. I think it's chapter four. He said, when he was young, so this is the, the last Pope speaking. Mm-hmm. When he spoke, speaking about God, when he was young, this God out of the Orient, he was harsh and vengeful, and he built himself a hell to amuse his favorites. Eventually, however, he became old and soft and mellow and pitying, more like a grandfather than a father, but most like a shaky old grandmother. Then he sat in his nook by the hearth, wilted, grieving over his weak legs, weary of the world weary of willing and one day he choked to death on his all too great pity right now the he here is god right uh-huh. um how do you take that passage well again it sounds awfully prescient right um <laughs> and way. um and here's what i see about it. i i think keep in mind nietzsche died in 1900 i think right 1900 i'm pretty sure um, I think it has to be a little bit later than that, actually. But go ahead. Yeah. Maybe All right. So, well, we'll have to look it up. Circa 1900. Okay. Um, and um, he's looking all the way down the road, and mm-hmm. I think we could see. I could see throughout my lifetime that decline in faith in God correlates with a way of thinking about God that's overly sappy mm-hmm. and um, and spineless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right so um in other words this idea that god will forgive anything mm-hmm. um i affirm that but it's come to be understood as that it's come to, to be understood i think um maybe unconsciously but practically as um lacking any need for repentance there's no need to reform my life because Mm -hmm. god loves me just the way i am Mm -hmm. i don't need to change Mm -hmm. for anyone Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. i could i'm fine the way i am Mm -hmm. because god Mm -hmm. loves me so much which Mm -hmm. basically means that god is meaningless that his moral law is meaningless he has no authority in our life yeah Yeah. he can't actually command or and he can't command right like it's not a punishment attached to disobedience yeah yeah yeah, there's no authority, no real authority, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in any strong sense. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a really uh, a good way of putting it. The, um, uh, you know, I see there certainly that sort of just blanket like God just forgives. You don't have to yeah. change, you know, and right. uh, you he don't loves have everyone. To repent, so you don't um, have to affirm, you know. So so the, um, you know, there's no need even to there's no need to convert. There's mm-hmm. no need to mm-hmm. to actually believe in him. Mm-hmm. Um, the if you think about the way many contemporary Christians, even in ministry, mm-hmm. um, dispose themselves toward non-Christian religions or to uh-huh. heresy sure. within Christianity, or uh-huh. um, there's there, nothing seems really to matter, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing seems to. It's all the same. It's all fine. It's all good. As long as you as long as you're not judgy, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right that's Which it, ultimately right? means that if Christianity were to go away, um, what's the difference? It, yeah, what's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that's uh I think that's that's correct. Uh, 
I was re- recently watching a um, a documentary um, that touched on this, and there was a guy in there who had grown up in evangelical, had been uh, a, a fairly prominent evangelical sort of uh, minister, and uh, eventually rejected his evangelical faith. Interestingly, like kind of like the guy you talked about before, the sort of right, like mm-hmm. he, he he still ministers he says uh-huh. but he ministers uh love and forgiveness within a secular humanist context the way he puts it yeah right right, right. Uh-huh. uh so he uses words like grace love and forgiveness right mm-hmm. uh but without god yeah they don't it's mean cr- what they used to mean yeah. yeah yeah right it's just how we give grace to each other how we you know that sort of thing right but what's interesting is and there was a really honest part of this is he says you know I grew up with a classical conception of God as author, you know, as, as having this authority as being creator with a strong sense of the creator creature distinction, um, you know that those sorts of things, right? And um, at the end, he said, "I can't." I, I became uncomfortable with that, right uh-huh. view, right? I was like, "Well, God," like he, he admitted, he's like the God of the Bible condemns homosexuality i know homosexuals who are wonderful creative and one you know great people they their love can't be wrong it's got to be the case that there's something wrong with the god of the bible and maybe well actually it's something wrong with the bible maybe there's the bible's just kind of off on this part right so i'm going to take that part and i'm going to get rid of that aspect of god right i'm also clean up my my picture of god and he Mm -hmm. says you know i started that process I did it over again and over again and over again. Right. He mm-hmm. said, eventually at the end, I had a God who I really loved and who was really amazing. And I realized it was a God I totally invented. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> right. And at that point he was like, Oh, I don't believe in God. I'm just affirming myself, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and, and he had the honesty, I think to his credit to say, there's no point in being Christian. I don't yeah. believe in the God of the Bible, right? Um, and I thought, I think, yeah, that's kind of it. You know, like it's it's gotten to the point I think for Christians that we can't draw the line anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when we have to draw the lines in these difficult places, we just end up saying, you know what? I just can't believe in a God that would that would make me draw the line here. Yeah, right, 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 you right. Know? That's, that's the move. Mind. Yeah, that's the move people make. Yeah, that's the move. You know, and then is it eventually it's like, well. Enough. You know what's interesting in John's gospel, right? With the um the bread of life discourse, <laughs> where Jesus is like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Right, right. You don't you don't have life. Um he um what what they say is there's that passage where we say this is a hard saying. That's the way we <laughs> right. translate it. Yeah, right. Another way to translate that very literally is this is the unyielding logos. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like that. This is the unyielding logos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think um, this unwillingness, even to say on the part of Christians, our image of God, right, is such that we really made him sort of unbelievable. But also on our part as Christians, we just don't want to live with that God anymore, right? Uh-huh. And we're just sort of like, no, we're not going to demand. X, Y, and Z, and I'm not going to worship a God like that, right? And eventually you just don't end up with the God of Revelation, right? Right. And you see a lot of Christian Christian churches, air quotes, going that in way. that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mainstream, mainline, 
mainline yeah. denominations, right? Sure, absolutely. Um, the third uh, uh, one here, and I think we can maybe deal with this a, a little more quickly, is what he calls the will to truth. Yeah. Uh, now, Nietzsche, very interestingly, straightforwardly says in, in several of his epistemological and ethical writings that, you know, truth is valuable, but it's not the most it's not it's not more valuable than untruth. It just kind of depends on the situation, right? Mm-hmm. So Nietzsche is all for a good lie, a good myth, a good um, you know <laughs> mask if it's life affirming and and mm-hmm. creates a more dramatic sort of picture of one's existence, right? Um, but he says Christianity again. It's very dogmatically asserts the importance of the truth, right? It just you know breeds that into its adherence and he thinks ironically that that addiction to the truth has led to the undermining of christianity right Mm -hmm. so you think about um uh, two ways of maybe two angles on this one would be um certainly he thinks that science was really invented by christians and by the christian will to truth Mm -hmm. uh but ultimately science has shown that we don't need god in order to understand the flow of phenomena around us. And so in so doing has made faith unbelievable, right? Has oh. made God unbelievable. Why believe in something if you don't really need him to explain anything, right? It's not, again, there's no use in it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, along with that, maybe a sort of slightly different way of seeing this or a slightly different example, this would be the scholar who starts in a place of belief, maybe in biblical studies or something like this, you see this, mm-hmm. right? And over time, his investigations, at least to his own mind, lead him to kind of unbelief, right? He mm-hmm. comes to sort of doubt all the, you know, do, you think of Bart Ehrman is, is somebody like mm-hmm. that, you know? Um, does that right, Bart Ehrman? Sorry, I think so. Um, any event. So that would be another sort of, you know, uh, example of, mm-hmm. um, or source of unbelief, right? Is that, yeah. that will to truth, so... Uh, my own thought about that, and you can tell me what you think, is that I I just you know, sort of, I get what he's saying, where he's coming from. And certainly it is the case that to a lot of people, the development of science replaces God, right? Mm-hmm. It's, they come to see God as kind of a useless hypothesis, right? Yeah. Um, I disagree on philosophical grounds that the will to truth has undermined uh, uh christianity or theism or god right yeah. i think that i i would say that you know I, I think there's plenty of good argumentation to support right the existence of god and the reasonability of christianity that would take us back into the sort of questions about real worlds that right true worlds right so you and i have arrived at some different conclusions based upon similar sorts of uh research right mm-hmm. than nietzsche would or that some of these other people would but sure. certainly Immanuel Kant, right, when mm-hmm. he says um, he says about Hume that he he uh, he roused him from his dogmatic slumber. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Immanuel Kant had believed in God. He had mm-hmm. bought into a traditional metaphysical view prior mm-hmm. to reading Hume. Mm-hmm. And Hume persuaded him that mm-hmm. um, he had no actual ground for many of the premises upon which he relied That's in right. the construction yeah. of his metaphysical view. Mm-hmm. And he could not find a way to recover those. So um, he invented his categorical model for, mm-hmm. for understanding things, which in which God is a sort of a, how does he put it? A, um, 
a necessary moral postulate or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a but he doesn't uh, God's a moral postulate. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't actually believe that there is such a thing. Yeah, and your practical judgments, you need to make practical judgments that assume God exists. Yeah. But that you should, you're not required to affirm the actual existence of God. Right. Just right. So that move to Nietzsche is uh-huh. is fairly um, straightforward, right? Yeah. Nietzsche mm-hmm. says, "Okay, but if I don't really care to live in the moral universe that you're so interested in preserving, yeah, exactly." Then I don't need their God. Then. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Better right. off without. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why? And again, you know, like why? Like uh, why, why are you so interested in that world? Morality. Yeah. Like, what's the? <laughs> you know, what's the deal? You're just like some sort of, you know, uh, it's just some sort of hangover, basically, uh-huh. of of you know having grown up in Europe and having sort of a, a Christian cultural background, right? Um, because it's you know there's just no what you know because well because it's more rash operary rational well why be more operary rational right you know and that's yeah. just you know right. like what a weird thing to commit your life to <laughs> right yeah right you know, like, being as mathematical <laughs> as possible in your actions you know <laughs> why would you do that um but yeah that's a Nietzsche's Catholic I think you're absolutely right uh there uh Rich and then here's the last one um uh this is again uh comes from uh this big Zarathustra um and he talks about uh, another man that he met who was a, a murderer of god um and he calls him the ugliest man uh-huh. really mm-hmm. interesting and this is what the ugliest man had to say about why god had to die mm-hmm. this, again so this is not nietzsche himself speaking this is not somebody that stands in for nietzsche's point of view right this is the ugliest man right and and nietzsche is very aesthetically oriented right mm-hmm. so he's he's not this is not representative it's descriptive right mm-hmm. of, of of a certain condition you could say so this is the ugliest man speaking he says but he had to die he saw with an eye that saw everything he saw a man's depths and ultimate grounds all his concealed disgrace and ugliness his pity knew no shame he crawled into my dirtiest nooks this most curious Overobtrusive, overpitying one had to die. He always saw me. On such a witness, I wanted to have revenge or not live myself. The God who saw everything, even man, this God had to die. Man cannot bear it that such a witness should live. Right. So here you kind of get the image of the person who, and you know, that for whom God is somebody who pities him, right? God pities the ugliest man. Mm-hmm. And 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 wants to heal his deepest, you know, uh, nooks and crannies and places of sin. But see, to be pitied is we pity the weak and the fallen, the declined, right? Uh-huh. You know, and and I don't want to be pitied, and I don't want you to know about all my dirty nooks, right? Uh, and it's it's it, I can't bear it. Right? It's really uh, it's really the confrontation of conscience, right? I. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live in in the world in which I can be convicted by my conscience. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Um, that's too much to bear. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting here that, I mean, this is a deep insight, actually, right? Mm-hmm. It cuts to, I think, something really essential in the idea of sin, particularly in the Jewish and Christian context. Mm-hmm. The idea that, that sin is uh, not only... Um, not only some sort of personal 
failure or disappointment, but mm-hmm. but more deeply, um, the breach of a breach of trust between me and mm. and God, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. That that he about which he can never be deceived. All right. Mm. Um, <laughs> it it's the most that the kind of shame that comes from the experience of from the recognition of one's guilt, one's objective yeah. guilt, right? is really in in a sense it's the essence of the punishment of the sinner hmm. right if hmm. you want to sort of distill the fires of hell into into something what is it but the awareness of um the awareness of my guilt hmm. and and my um and my impenitence right mm-hmm. so um don scotus at one point, you know, he he's talking about um, the Immaculate Conception, right? In mm-hmm. his defense of the Immaculate Conception, and he says that uh, the wor- it's what's worse to be in hell, right? To suffer the punishment of hell, or to be a sinner, mm-hmm. you know, to be the one who deserves to be punished in hell. Mm-hmm. And he's convinced that being a sinner is worse. Mm. Right, the fact that I should go to hell is worse than that I do go to hell, mm. and um, and and I think that's kind of, to me, that's a really insightful point in Scotus, and I think Nietzsche is observing the same thing, but from a completely different perspective. different yeah. perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the it's instructive, right, that Nietzsche calls him the ugliest man, because he can. I think from Nietzsche's perspective, the ugly man's weak. Um, you know, in several respects, right? One mm-hmm. is, you know, he just kind of sees this as, oh, it causes me to suffer that God knows, right? You know, and because I just can't take it, right? I'm yeah. gonna, you know, I mean, there's there here Nietzsche is sort of saying, look, uh, you know, kind of like you know, sometimes people will criticize Christians, right? And they'll say, Oh, you just believe in God because you need him. Uh-huh. Right. You need him to fix your life, to make you give you a sense of value and identity, something like that. Right. Nietzsche's turning the tables around and saying yeah. uh-huh. there's a certain kind of agnostic and atheist who rejects the existence of God because he needs God to not exist. Right. Because yeah, he can't bear the thought of God. That's right. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, man, that is that's really I think he's right on the money. Can't bear the guilt of God existing. See, I don't have to deal with the guilt of my sin. Right. If there is no God. So, so this is, you know, when you think about um, today, you know, the emphasis on quote unquote pride, right? Mm. Um, it does seem to me that mm. this is exactly what Nietzsche is talking about, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, uh, I, I, you know, it, it kind of is similar to the, to the, to, to the last pope, right? I'm not going to worship a God that, you know, would deny this to me. I'm not going to worship a God. I'm not going to have a God that would make me feel bad. In fact, right, I'm, about it. I'm yeah. proud of my sin, right? Right, right. You know, um, which is is a remarkable step, you know, where you really think about it, because it's not even just sort of like, well, I've got this sin, why don't you tolerate it? No, I've got this sin. It's not a sin. In fact, it's a virtue. Why don't right. you celebrate it? Right, you know? right. right. Uh, which is, uh, again, a sort of remarkable transformation. Uh, stepping back and looking at all this, I hope, by the way, we've gone long and... Uh, but there's a lot to cover here, and I think there's a yeah. lot that's insightful for Christians to think about in terms of our own belief, in terms of the decline of belief among Christians. I really think Nietzsche, again, is 
kind of pointed out four areas, sources of unbelief uh, that that we can kind of use to analyze kind of what's going on in our own situations in our own churches. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, um, again, looking down the road 100 years or so, mm-hmm. you know, he's um, he's describing the landscape that's before us right now, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is it's really useful to, for us to read. I, I, I want the audience to understand that, um, you know, though, though you're a committed Christian, um, uh, maybe some in our audience are not, but, but if you're a committed Christian, right, uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't read Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. You have a lot to learn from him. Mm-hmm. He's probably one of your most honest interlocutors in terms of, um, uh, you know, what w- what does the world look like if you reject Christianity? Right. Yes. Yes. What's the alternative really? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to find out? Go to Friedrich Nietzsche. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Good. So, um, thanks for uh, for this discussion, and mm-hmm. uh, Ben, and um, I want to give you an opportunity here to talk a little bit about your new project, um, which, to my mind, looks really excellent. I've I've read a couple of your um, a couple of your essays. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, I'm you know, still committed to, to carrying on with Catholic Studies Academy. Enjoy doing work with Catholic Studies Academy. But one of the projects I've been interested in uh, is exploring uh, more fully uh, the history of philosophy. The history of philosophy is something I, I love just to have this discussion here, you know, looking at thinkers like Friedrich Nietzsche, who are not who aren't even necessarily, uh, you know, sort of aligned with my own beliefs. But, I, you know, just as a kind of a really a follower of St. Thomas, but also just an investigator, I think it's useful to look at all of these different philosophers over the history of our tradition, uh, even maybe some philosophers outside of the West, and find, you know, the insights that you can find, even sometimes finding the error points you in the right direction. So Logos Letter is just uh, a a newsletter that I'm writing every 10 days or so uh, that explores uh, the history of philosophy, that explores the history of political ideas, also explores the Bible to some degree, but from a philosopher's perspective. So like, mm-hmm. like when I look at the Bible, say, as a philosopher, you know, if I was approaching in that way, what would I learn about philosophical questions uh, from the Bible, right? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, kind of that's kind of like a, a Justin Martyr kind of perspective on things, yeah. you know, where you know, he's trained first as a philosopher and and then approaches, you know, the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is a really interesting perspective. So that's what I'm going to be exploring uh, in the in Logos Letter. You can find that on uh, at Logos Letter 2022, right? Um, yeah, we can put a link stack. to it in the description yeah. box. Good. Uh, yeah, and so, um, so you're you're uh, you've had a couple of essays come out in that mm-hmm. so far, right? You've, this is mm-hmm. brand new. That's right. Uh, the first one introduces um, the letter and why you're writing it and why it's good to mm-hmm. read stuff, right? That's right. <laughs> why it's good to write. <laughs> why it's good to write, yes, yes. And yes. the second one, um, the second one hits on a really classic text, of course, mm-hmm. which is um, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Right on, yeah. And uh, it's a really great discussion you have in that essay, and I hope the reader, the, I hope our viewers will, um, will take a look at it. Great. Thanks so much, Rich. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Ben, and... Um, you out there in uh listening to us thanks for the time that you've put into this uh discussion today